I feel the love. I feel it. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so honored and excited to be here this morning with you. I don't know how you got here, if a friend or family member brought you, or maybe Pokemon Go brought you and you were just trying to catch them all. However you got here, we are so delighted that you're here. I am honored once again to be here. And, uh, and I need you to know something about me. I love to celebrate. I love to celebrate loud, hard, and often. And as I walked into this place once again after a little three-month hiatus, uh, it is apparent that God is alive and well and at work. And there's just a few things that we need to celebrate. Because as I walked through the doors this morning, I saw that there's some construction happening. And Kid Town Park and Central Cafe is on its way, friends. So incredibly excited. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have taken our four kids to Bell Square and had to do the tugboat thing, but to now know that there is one of those wonderful environments for our kids right here at Overlake, as well as coffee. Come on, people. We get to unleash that on our community. That's so cool. Big shout out to Pastor Phil, Aaron Talley, Jacob, the team who's been designing that. Number two, number two is summer camps. For the last eight years, I've had the privilege of like going on these life-altering experiences with students. And this summer, Pastor Neely, Pastor Jody, Pastor Connor, they took hundreds of our students uh, up to Canada on houseboats and then here in Puyallup at Island Lake Camp. And these students, they had life-changing experiences, many of them making first-time decisions for Christ, many of them getting baptized, many of them just taking that next step in their walk with Jesus. Friends, that is something to celebrate. Let's hoot and holler. Come on. And then, and then number three, friends, Pastor Pat and Leah are having a baby. Woo! So incredibly excited. Again, God is alive. He is at work. Awesome things are happening at Overlake. The best days are absolutely yet to come. And today I have the honor and privilege of helping us wrap up our summer teaching series titled Best Sermon Ever based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But before we do, why don't we pray and then we'll dive into things. Jesus, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move us ordinary people into the extraordinary lives that you have called us to. Jesus, we want to make your name famous in this place. Lord, help us to not simply be hearers of the word today, but to be doers. May we walk out of the four walls of this place filled up with your spirit and be in salt and light to those around us. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, how many of you, by show of hands, watching the Olympics? Watching the Olympics, most of us. I mean, so many good stories happening. Uh, a bad one as well, cough, cough, Ryan Lockie. It's like bad. Um, but so many good stories. I mean, Simone Biles, five Olympic medals in gymnastics. Woo! Uh, Katie Ledecky just obliterating the competition in the pool as well as some world records. And then, then there's this guy who just keeps showing up. Michael Phelps, man, five Olympic Games, 28 medals, 23 of them gold, and at the archaic swimming age of 31, he hops in the pool and just dominates the best the world has to throw his way. Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Based on that, in fact, I was actually talking with a friend last week at church. He works at Twitter. And he was saying when Michael Phelps touched the wall in his 200-meter butterfly and won that gold medal again, it actually broke Twitter. Like it was so trending worldwide that Twitter shut down for like 30 seconds. 
insane. So that said, I want to just another raise hand kind of question. How many of you would say you are an admirer or, or a fan of Michael Phelps? How many of you would say that? Hey, m- most of us in here. I want, you to, I want you to think about this for a moment. Most of us are fans, at least fans of him and the pool and what he's done there. But I want you to think that, uh, that somewhere out there in this country's landscape, there was, a, there was a kid watching the Olympics. And what happened inside him or what happened inside her when they were watching Michael Phelps swim that race, it went way beyond admiration. It actually went way beyond fa- fandom. Because something happened inside that kid when they were watching Michael Phelps. And as they were watching, their hearts started to pound. And their minds started racing. And they began thinking to themselves, I could do that. What he's doing, I could do. I could swim like that. And now this kid, he's reading articles. And he's watching videos. He's going to the pool. He's working with a coach. He's swimming laps. You see, somewhere out there, there's a kid who actually wants to become like Michael Phelps. And one day he will. He's not just an admirer. He's not just a fan. He's a follower. Now, I, I'm not in that category. I will applaud what Michael Phelps did. I will hoot and holler when he wins. I will even start chanting USA at the top of my lungs when something goes well. But let's be real. I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to wake up and spend the lion's share of my day growing gills and getting pruny fingers while I tackle lap after lap. I'm not going to spend another three hours a day doing dry land workouts in high elevations. And even though I might want to, I'm not going to eat 10,000 calories a day to fuel my athletic endeavors. And here's the point I'm trying to make. I am a Michael Phelps admirer. I am a Michael Michael Phelps fan. But I am not a Michael Phelps follower. And there's a big difference. You see, an admirer is impressed, but a follower is devoted. A fan applauds, but a follower surrenders his life. And there are examples of this far beyond the pool. See, a lot of people, they admired Martin Luther King. Many of them even marched with him, but very few of them went to jail with him. Mother Teresa, a lot of people, a lot of people admired her. But not many followed her to live a life among the destitute and dying in Calcutta. In the same way, many people admired Jesus. Many people were his fans. But by the end of his ministry, we find that there were only just a few followers. And so here's the question I want to pose to you this morning. When it comes to Jesus, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan Or are you a follower? And I pose this question today because we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the world's most famous sermon preached by Jesus, God in the Bod himself. And when Jesus gave this talk that changed the world, there were two groups of people listening to him. One group was the crowd. And they were very impressed by Jesus. In fact, when he reached the end of his sermon, we were told this about their response in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. It said, when Jesus finished saying these things, when he finished his sermon, 
The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So what we see in this passage is that there's a whole crowd who admires Jesus. But while he was teaching, something else happened. Something happened in the hearts of a few that went way beyond admiration, way beyond fandom. You see, for some of them, their hearts started to pound. And their minds started racing. Something deep inside of them said, this is it. This is what I have been looking for and longing for my whole life. To be cleansed and forgiven of my sin. To know God. To have life beyond worry, beyond fear. To not be a slave to sexual desire, unhealthy habits, or the need for more and more money. To be a part of God's cause. To redeem the world. To have confidence beyond the grave. To not be afraid of death anymore. I have to have this. In fact, I would rather have what this man has and give up everything else in the world than to have everything in the world and give up this man. Therefore, I will do whatever he wants me to do. I will go wherever he wants me to go. I will be whatever he wants me to be. Today, I am leaving the crowd. Today, I am no longer an admirer. Today, I am no longer a fan. Today, I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And friends, this is the decision point each of us must come to today as we come to the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount. Will we be fans or will we dive headfirst into a lifestyle of full followership to Jesus Christ? And here's why this question is so important. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a series of pictures, and every one of them involves a stark contrast designed to force people to choose, fan or follower. In Matthew 7, verses 12 through 14, he says there's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus paints a picture of a good tree and a bad tree. In Matthew 7, 20 through 23, he paints another picture. He says, there are true disciples and there are false disciples. And then he paints this final picture, the end of his sermon. It's a picture of a house, two houses actually, one built on a rock and one built on some sand. And he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He says, therefore... And this is just a little nugget. You might want to jot this down in your notes. Whenever you see that word in Scripture, you need to actually ask, what's it there for? So underline that because we're actually going to come back to that. So Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So what is Jesus driving at in this last picture? Again, he's asking the question, are you going to be my fan or are you going to be my follower? Because a fan will build his house on the sunny shores of a nice sandy beach. But when life throws you some wind and some waves, you're going to crumble. Or are you going to build your house on the rock 
on me and my word so that when the wind and the waves come, you might feel it, but you will not waver. What are you going to do? Back to that word, therefore. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, what words of his? That therefore, that therefore is actually pointing back to the entirety of his Sermon on the Mount. The last eight weeks, we've been just walking through this most famous sermon in all of Scripture. Starts in Matthew chapter 5, goes through Matthew chapter 6, and now ends here in chapter 7. And Jesus, with that one word, therefore, he's pointing back to the entirety of his sermon, and he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the man who builds his house on the rock. You want to know how to build your house on the rock? The answer is right there in verse 24. You've got to put his words, that Sermon on the Mount, into practice. Here's the big idea. If you want to build your house on the rock, then you've got to live out the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to build your house on the rock, you've got to live out the Sermon on the Mount. What do I mean? You've got to live out God's word. What is God, God's word? It's the Bible, friends. It's his basic instructions before leaving earth, one youth pastor once told me. We've got to live out God's word. You've got to live out this Sermon on the Mount. Well, how do we do that? Man, we've been walking through this stuff the last eight weeks. There's just so many things. How in the world can we live this all out? Ah, friends, got some thoughts to throw your way. And here's the first one. If you want to live out the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to be in God's word. And when you're actually in God's word, something's going to happen. You're going to run into something. You're going to acquaint yourself with something. You're going to acquaint yourself with these things I like to call paradigm bombs. In fact, it's your first point on your outline. How do you live out the Sermon on the Mount? How do you build your house on the rock? You've got to acquaint yourself with paradigm bombs. Now, what in the world is a paradigm bomb? Here's a little definition. Paradigm bomb is something that radically reorients or reshapes your thinking. Something that radically reorients or reshapes your thinking. Paradigm bombs are these things that when you hear them, you, you scratch your head. They force you to think a little bit deeper. Sometimes even make you question yourself, well, what, what's going on here? And here's the thing about paradigm bombs. They're powerful. You see, paradigm bombs, they have the power to change thinking. And because they have the power to change thinking, they actually have the power to change hearts. And because they have the power to change hearts, they have the power to change actions. And because they have the power to change actions, they actually have the power to change lives. And you want to know something? Scripture is full of these things. I mean, it's just overflowing with paradigm bombs. Here are just a few examples from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. What? That might reshape or reorient some of your thinking. Blessed are those who are persecuted? Matthew 5.39, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer them the other as well. Uh, excuse me, Jesus? What? But I tell you the truth, Matthew 5.28, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I, I thought I was just looking at the menu. I wasn't going to order anything, God. Like, some of you got that. Others of you did not. <laughs> There's more. Matthew 19.24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. 
That should re reorient and reshape your thinking on finances. Matthew 18, 9, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Matthew 5, 30, if your hand causes you to stumble, then cut it off. What Jesus is driving at here is he takes sin seriously. We should as well. Should reorient and reshape your thinking. And I could go on, Matthew 10, 39, you want to save your life, then lose it. Matthew 19, 30, you want to be first, then be last. What? I mean, if you just let those things sink in a little bit, you just think a little bit deeper on those things, those should reorient and reshape your thinking. They should be like a bomb going off inside of you. And friends, all of these examples, these were just from the book of Matthew. There are 64, 65 more books in the Bible. And I'm telling you, Scripture is overflowing with these things that should reshape and reorient your thinking. And if you want to build your house on the rock, if you want to move from fan to follower, you've got to get in God's word. And if you're in God's word, you're going to regularly acquaint yourself with these paradigm bombs that will change your thinking, that will change your heart, that will change your actions, and then change your life if you will allow them to. Friends, I've told this story before, but I just need this to like sink in. God's word is so powerful. When I was 14 years old, my grandfather passed away. My dad was cleaning out his house, and he came across this old Tupperware container of fireworks. A whole bunch of little firecrackers, things like that. So I'm 14. I go outside in my cul-de-sac. I'm just lighting off firecrackers, having a heyday. At the very bottom of this Tupperware container, there's a little red smoke bomb. I thought it was a smoke bomb. Take this little red smoke bomb, take it out to the middle of my cul-de-sac, I light it, I start walking away, and all of a sudden, I'm waiting for a nice little plume of red smoke when a small-scale Scud missile goes off in my cul-de-sac. Friends, it was so loud, and I was so scared. I was gone faster than my self-esteem at a Zumba class. It was crazy. <laughs> Insane. And here's the idea. I thought... I was playing with a smoke bomb. Oh, how I was wrong. I had no idea the power I was playing with. No idea. And friends, when you crack open God's word, you have no idea the power that you're playing with. God's word is described by the Greek word dunamis. That's where we get our English word dynamite. God's word is dynamite. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you will allow it to speak to you, because this is God's love letter to us, and he wants through his Holy Spirit to speak to us, if you will allow him to, he will drop paradigm bomb after paradigm bomb after paradigm bomb on your life, and it will reshape your thinking, and it will reshape your heart, and it will reshape your actions, and it will change your life. So is it important to get in God's word? Absolutely. If you want to live out the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to get in God's word. But some of you, you're like me for years. I said, well, yeah, I'm not much of a reader. Because I'm not. I actually struggle reading. I don't enjoy reading. But here's point number two. Point number two is this. Everything that is worthwhile is uphill. Everything that's worthwhile is uphill. Our problem oftentimes is we have uphill hopes, but we have downhill habits. We have uphill hopes, but we have downhill habits. For me, I had to teach myself how to enjoy reading. For me, it was like peeing in a wetsuit. It was a little awkward at first, 
but eventually it got all warm and fuzzy. But I understand some of you, you will still struggle. You will still struggle reading God's word. So here's my challenge to you. I'm going to challenge every person in this place because once I started uh, employing this practice in my life, change my life. Here's what I want to challenge each and every one of you to do. I want you to redeem your commute. Redeem your commute. What does that mean? The average American spends 500 hours a year in their car. If you were to do the math, that's the equivalent of earning a bachelor's degree. You have an opportunity to invest your time during your commute or to waste it. My encouragement would be to invest it. Redeem your commute. How? You've got to bathe yourself in God's word. I would encourage you. Um, there's this thing. It's called the Bible app. It's on every smartphone. version Bible app. Um, rather than you trying to just read it, you can actually just press play in your car and allow God's word to just bathe you. I would just encourage you, if you're in your car and you just have not like opened the Bible in a while, just open that app, press play, and just listen to God's word and let him speak to you. Some of you, some of you, you need to hear sermons, and you're going to get God's word that way. There are thousands of sermons that you could listen to. I would encourage you, listen to this guy, Pastor Mike. He's pretty darn good. He'll change your life. Some of you know this story too. Ten years ago, I'm on the corner of 124th in a hot dog suit. One day, I decide I'm going to put on my iPod, I'm going to put a podcast of Mike Howerton. Mike Howerton's messages every single day, and what I was doing was just bathing myself in God's word and allowing God's word to be spoken over my life, and it radically changed my life, took a very dark time in my life, turned me around, and set me on the course I am today, all because I was just bathing myself in God's word. For some of you, you need to bathe yourself in God's word through worship music in your car. There's some great theologically rich worship music out there. There's some even great theologically rich rap music out there. I would encourage you, find your music genre of choice. There's good stuff out there. Allow it to speak life into you. Allow it to speak theology and God's word in your life. Go do it and redeem your commute. Some of you say, well, I don't drive that much. Then redeem your workout. You don't work out, then redeem your morning, redeem your night, redeem some part of your day and give it to God and allow him to speak truth over your life. And then, not only that, here's the second thing. We've said a lot around these parts that connection is everything. Not only do you need to allow God's word to be spoken over your life on a daily basis, but you need to do life in community. We were not meant to do life alone. We say this often. We say that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We were meant to do life alone, and we need people in our lives holding us accountable, saying, hey, let's do this together. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let's just go after this together. And you need that if you're going to live out the Sermon on the Mount. If you're going to then, and this is point number three, then turn your theology to biography. Turn your theology into biography. You need to get in God's word. As you get in God's word, you're going to uh, come into like the face, flying in your face on a regular basis are going to be these paradigm bombs that reshape your thinking, reshape your heart, reshape your actions, reshape your life. And then 
you got to work at this. you got to develop the habits because you know what? It's going to be hard. There's going to be days you don't want to open up God's word. You don't want to listen to another worship song, but you got to do it because everything worthwhile is uphill. you got to change those downhill habits. you got to uproot them. And as you do this, as you begin to bathe yourself in God's word, have him speaking into your life every day, it just naturally happens. Point number three just naturally happens. You start turning your theology into biography. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. We should not just be, merely be listeners and hearers of the word. We should be doers of the word. There's this leadership guru, and he's a former pastor. His name's John Maxwell. Got to hear him speak last week. He was telling the story of his grandson. And uh, during the summers, he and uh, his wife, they have all the grandkids over for a couple weeks. They call them Mimi and Papa. And Mimi and Papa have the grandkids over, and, uh, and they do devotions in the morning. And during their devotional time, they're just, uh, they were reading this passage about loving your neighbors, like loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and then loving neighbors as yourself. And as they were talking about loving neighbors, John asked his little grandson and his grandkids, he said, hey, um, how are we going to love our neighbors today? And one of his little grandsons shot up his hand. He said, doors. He's like, doors? He said, doors. He said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, I'm going to open up doors. Just like that. So this little grandson... He goes off and he proceeds with his day. He opens up 48 doors for people during the course of the day. Now, I know this is just small and this is just kind of cute, but that was a little boy putting his theology, turning that theology into biography, loving his neighbors in very tangible ways. And when you bathe yourselves in God's word, you just see these opportunities all the time. Uh, my friend, Betty and Carolyn, um, I was walking out, I was prepping for the sermon on Thursday night. I came out, I saw them out there, and uh, they saw me, and we started talking, and I was able to tell them about my mom. My mom has been uh, struggling the last couple years with some medical stuff. It's made it kind of difficult to walk and stuff like that. So I see Betty and Carolyn, and they see me, and I start telling them about my mom, and they just turn their theology into biography. They just stop everything, and they just start praying. For the next 30 minutes, they're just praying healing over my mom just calling heaven down on earth for my mom. And they just stay, stay at it. They're turning theology into biography. And here's the truth, friends. I need to warn you about this. When you start turning theology into biography, great things happen. And quite honestly, the enemy doesn't like it. See, this is what happens. You start turning theology into biography, and you might notice the wind and the waves and the storms, they start to come. And they're going to beat against your house. They're going to beat against your house. They're going to come and they're going to try to distract you. They're going to try to make you crumple over, fall over. But if you build your house on the foundation of the rock, you will weather those storms. What I want to do right now is introduce you to one of my friends, my new friends from California. She's one of the receptionists at our church down there. She's made a commitment to build her house on the rock. And once she made that commitment, not too shortly thereafter, the wind and the waves and the storms came in a very real way in her life. And I want you to watch her story. Here it is. My name's Erin Vega. I've been attending CCV for about six years. 
my son and I started coming together um, because of one of the girls I worked with. She invited me. For a while, we were just attending every Sunday, and then uh, Etiwanda opened, and we wanted to start serving more. And so Isaiah was excited to get involved with the ministry. He does acting and dancing and singing, and um, I wanted to help in any way I could. So we went and signed up, and we've been there ever since. And then in October of 2014, um, Isaiah was getting ready for school and uh, he asked me if I would do his hair and I was like you can do your own hair I don't need to do your hair and then he said but I like it better when you do it and I said okay and I was really excited because he wanted to hang out and he's handsome I like combing his hair and we were goofing off like we always do and um, put the comb down and then he grabs my hand and he's like I am so happy right now everything is so perfect I said he said um I wish I could stay this way forever. And then like to try not to let him see me cry, I was like, oh, stop being so emotional. And then he walks out of the bathroom. He's like, well, I got to get going if I want to make it to school in time. And I said, okay, we have a good day. He's like, I'll see you soon. And then five minutes later, I heard my sister screaming. I could hear by her scream that somebody was hurting, like, it wasn't a normal, like she wasn't mad, like something really bad had happened. I'm like, what's going on? She said, I was hit by a car. And um, the fireman started crying. I'm like, why are you crying? He said, you need to go to the hospital right now. He's in critical condition. The doctor came in, tears in her eyes. And She just said that she was sorry, that they tried everything they could. And I just fell to the ground. Everybody's world just ended at that moment. He was so much to so many. My, my family at CCV just, they did everything for me. They helped me plan a beautiful service and um, fed me just held me. I tried to like be mad and needed someone to blame. So I started to make myself almost like hate the young man that uh, accidentally took his life. So I started getting this hate in my heart and ooh, immediately it, it overcame me. I felt sick, literally like I wanted to vomit. I saw stuff that I shouldn't have been seeing and God was checking me. That lasted for about one night and then I was like, nope. This is who God created you to be, and you could try to walk outside of that, but it's not going to work. So I prayed about it heavy on my heart, and I need to meet this man. I need to meet this, this man that was in the accident, and that uh, I need to know where he's coming from. I need to talk to him. I need to understand, and I need to forgive him. And that is where I met Jason and my now best friend, Denise. My name is Denise Senezal, and I am Jason's mom. I received a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. This person had told me that um, my son was in an accident and that an 11-year-old boy died. My daughter was standing next to me asking me what was happening, and I really couldn't speak. Um, the only thing that kept going through my mind was that an 11-year-old 
little boy died. I immediately started hearing um, and feeling God in ways I had never felt before. I would talk to people and say, um, I just wanted to give her a hug. <laughs> and people would say, mm, you know that's never going to happen, right? <laughs> but I didn't feel that in my heart. It was shortly after that where Aaron and I met, uh, really got to meet for the first time and be on our own. Um, I met her at CCV um, at Awana Gardens and we had lunch. And our relationship has just continued to grow. Um, I was approached by one of the pastors at Etiwanda um, about Rooted, um, asking me if I'd be interested in joining or even leading a group. I asked Denise if she wanted to join with me because I heard her saying that she wanted to join Rooted at, at the church she was attending at the time. But I'm like, how cool, like, we're such good friends. Now we can study together. We could just add another dynamic to our friendship, you know. There happened to be a guy that joined my Rooted group whose son passed away just one month prior to that, in the same way Isaiah passed away. And that is divine intervention. How could that happen? Only God. How could Denise and I be there together to show this man that forgiveness exists, that we could do it God's way? We don't have to do it the world's way. I'm blessed to have had him for 11 years, you know? So I, I think that's important to be able to share. If we can encourage people that when death happens, to try to look at the other end of it. Because on the other end of it, there's gonna be change and there's gonna be beauty and people are gonna change their lives because of it. And if I could trade it, I would. So cool the way God works. How he took such a broken, horrible mess and made it beautiful. Someone, yeah. Someone once said that Christians uh, should be like nails. The harder they're hit, the deeper they go. That is definitely the case in Aaron's story. It's definitely the hallmark of somebody who builds their house on the rock. They take what the enemy intends for harm, and through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives, they're able to turn it for good. That is a picture of a house built on the rock. But not only do people who build their house on the rock, not only do they go deeper, they also go higher. Now let me explain this. Back in the pioneering days of aviation, there was a man who was making a round-the-world trip, and he was making little stops along the way. But he set off, and he's two hours into his flight. He's two hours away from the next landing strip when he starts to hear some rustling up in his cabin. And he realized that there must be a rodent or something up in his cabin. And he starts to hear this rodent gnaw on some of the wires and the cables. And he realizes, oh, no, this, this is not good. Because if the rodent, if he starts biting through these wires, we're, we're, I'm going down. And so he was freaking out for a minute, panicking. What, what do I do? And then he realized something. Rats, rodents, they're not meant for the heights of the air. They're meant to be down on the ground and underground, not up in the air. So he decided, you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to climb higher. So he climbed to 10,000 feet. He climbed to 15,000 feet, and he started to hear the rustling die down a little bit. And then he climbed to 20,000 feet, and the rustling of that rodent had died. Two hours later, he lands the plane. He searches the cabin. Sure enough, he sees there's a dead rat. I want you to know, friends, the wind and the waves that are crashing in your life, they're a rat. They're a rodent. And when those things come in your life, and I promise you they're going to come in your life, what you need to do is go deep, yes, but you also need to go high. You need to climb higher with God. When stuff is not going well in your relationships at home with your kids or your spouse, what do you do? You climb higher. What do you do when work is not going as you planned? The money's not coming in. Do you get worried? Do you get desperate? No, you bathe yourself in God's word and you go higher. What do you do when life just seems chaotic and you're depressed and you're down? You climb higher off of the sands, up on the cliffs to the rock and you dig down and you go deep and you anchor yourselves because the wind and the waves, they will come in this life. But you go down deep and then you go high. And that is the hallmark of somebody who builds their life on the rock. And once again, how do we do this? How do we build our house on the rock? Oh, it's, it's really so simple, friends. It's, it's, it, you gotta get into God's word. You got to live out the Sermon on the Mount. How? Well, as you read God's word, you're going to encounter these paradigm bombs that should reorient and reshape your thinking about life. And as they reorient and reshape your thinking, they're going to reshape your heart. And then it's going to reshape your actions. Then it's going to actually change your life. And you're going to be then living out your theology. You're going to be turning your theology into biography. And then you're going to be living that extraordinary, not ordinary, extraordinary life that God has called each and every one of us to. It's pretty simple if you think about it. So here's my encouragement, friends. You can choose today to build your house on the rock or you can build it on the sand. I would encourage you, build it on the rock. It's not easy, but it's worthwhile. And everything worthwhile, it's up hill. You might have to change some habits, yes, but it's worthwhile. Build your house on the rock. Move from fan to follower and press into the extraordinary life that God has for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word that's living and active, that's dynamite in our lives, that has the power to change us. We are ordinary people, but God, you can make us live extraordinary lives if we allow your spirit to come in and do the work that it needs to do on a daily basis. Lord, I pray that as we walk out of the four walls of this place, that we would be changed people, ready to set out being salt and light in this dark and dying world. Lord, fill us up with your spirit. Help us turn our theology into biography. Help us live the life that you have called us to live. God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Guys, thank you so much for allowing me to come home. Appreciate it. Love you guys.
What I want to do right now is actually invite you to stand, and as we respond and reflect on God's word, would you worship with us? Mm-hmm.